Grace and peace to you all from our triune God. Amen. Who here has done a home renovation before? Yeah, I, I think you probably have, Roger, haven't you? <laughs> done work on homes? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, but anyone who does a home renovation knows that they can get out of hand pretty fast, right? These renovations, if, we're, if done right, can totally transform a space, though. It can turn a drab and dreary uh, kitchen into the focal point of a home, uh, and people can gather there for food, for conversation, and if your family is anything like my family, for a lot of laughter. I can't tell you how many times we've been rolling in the kitchen around the island at my parents' house as someone has made yet another uh, joke that probably isn't repeatable here. Um, but HGTV um, has made a niche market for itself in filming these shows um, that surround these kinds of renovations. And unlike in most of our lives, they're turning these already gorgeous properties into spaces that are beyond probably our wildest imaginations, while simultaneously making us feel like we can do the same in our own homes. But in general, as we renovate places, whether they're our homes, our churches, businesses, we generally try to make them a little more open, more light-filled, more inviting to all kinds of people. And this is kind of like the vision that we get in our passage from Revelation this morning. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. And I think that we need to include one more verse than the lectionary includes, and it says this. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So with these words, God is renovating the world. He's renovating all of creation so that it's fit for him to dwell in. There will be no more pain, no more crying, no more mourning, or, and there won't be any more death. God is renewing everything. While we wait for the end time when that heavenly Jerusalem descends to the earth, we can recognize how God is working through imperfect people to begin to renovate our world. There's um, a story of the man who would become known as St. Francis of Assisi. 
Um, his father was a, a wealthy merchant, and St. Francis was living a life that um, was pretty similar to the life that a lot of the super wealthy in our world live. But one day, he had an encounter with God. He was in a church that was falling apart. Uh, the stones were crumbling. The, the, the pyramids were falling apart. It, it, just, it, it, wasn't a good, it wasn't in good condition. And he heard from God in that space that he was to rebuild the church. And so what does Francis do but goes and spends his father's money and rebuilds and renovates this church, much to his father's chagrin and fury. Um, There's a a really uh, colorful story uh, around this uh, situation that you can probably find online if you're interested. Um, But St. Francis had totally misunderstood God. What God was really telling Francis was that he wanted Francis to begin a Reformation work in the church, in the Catholic church. God wanted Francis to change the culture of the church into what God had in mind for the community of the faithful known as Christians. Whether Francis was successful or not is a matter of uh, some debate, but he is recognized as a saint by uh, the faithful all around the world. And a religious order bears his name to this day. And they live a radically different life than most of us would dream of living because of uh, the call of God and because of what God communicated to Francis centuries ago. Not unlike St. Francis, there's a, a, a forebear, our own spiritual forebear of the Wesleyan movement, John Wesley, who had, had a really similar experience of, of God that led him to a more devoted, radical faith than he had had ever before in his life. This happened well into the existence of uh, the movement that we recognize, recognize as Methodism. Um, and it was only after John, had, John Wesley had uh, broken with uh, the respectable practice of only preaching within the church doors of the Anglican churches, um, and after an admittedly disastrous missionary time in the colony of Georgia, uh, that he had this experience of God. Wesley was discouraged by the lack of fruit that was evident in his life and in his ministry. And so he had some significant doubt about his own spiritual health and really of his own salvation. He was going through an intense period of, of doubt. And so it was in the midst of this distress that he attended an evening prayer with the Moravian church, or with the Moravians at Aldersgate Street that he felt his heart strangely warmed. Those are the words that he used in his journal that night. He felt his heart strangely warmed. He had felt that God did love him, that God had saved him, that um, his salvation was secure. He hadn't had that kind of personal assurance that uh, all was well in his spiritual life before. This was a deeply personal experience. He felt that Christ had truly 
died for him, that because Christ loved him in an intensely personal way, without negating the fact that Christ died for everyone on an intensely personal level because Christ loved everyone on an intensely personal level. It was this kind of personal knowledge of the grace and love of God, a heart knowledge rather than an exclusively head knowledge, uh, that informed Wesley's theology um, and is something that we continue to embrace as Methodists to this day. As Methodists, we remember and celebrate what we now call Wesley's Aldersgate experience on this Sunday every year, on Heritage Sunday. It's important, it's an important reminder for us that God doesn't just want mental assent to uh, doctrine and a belief about the way that our lives are, but God also doesn't want an unthinking faith. He doesn't want us to check our minds at, at the church doors. Rather, as Methodists, we believe that God desires that we bring our whole selves, mind, body, and spirit, to this thing called faith. We should have intellectual knowledge of God that is supported by this tremendously life-giving and life-changing heart knowledge of God. And this heart knowledge is God's way of beginning to make us a new creation fit for God to dwell in and with. So St. John, the traditional author of Revelation, writes, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. Now the Greek for dwell, that, that what we translate as dwell, is also the word that we get tabernacle. And you might recognize that word from the Exodus story. God dwelt among the Israelite camp in the mobile tent of the tabernacle, kind of a portable temple uh, before the Israelites made it to the promised land and before they built the temple in Jerusalem. They had this tent that they'd set up wherever they camped, and it was called the tabernacle. And that's where God resided among them as they uh, traveled through the wilderness. And in a similar way, God tabernacles with us here and now. God dwells with us as we journey through uh, the wilderness on our way uh, to new life in Christ. By God's grace, we're justified or made right by God despite our sins through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, we are also sanctified or made holy so that we can be the people that God created us to be, the people that God wants to live with. It's by that same grace of God that God has begun and is continuing a renovation in our lives so that we might be made something totally new, something even greater than anything that the folks at HGTV can cook up. We're created to be in relationship with God and with others. 
and we await the day that God will dwell with us completely and fully. A day when pain and crying and mourning will cease. A day when conflict will be no more. When praise of God will encompass our entire beings. A day when our lives will no longer be marred or marked by our sin. And so we worship. We worship God knowing that each time we gather together to worship, we have a foretaste of that eternal reality. We worship to witness to the movements and the work of God in our lives. We worship God trusting that the work that he's begun in us will be completed and then will be welcomed into the heavenly Jerusalem having overcome the trials of this life when we drink the water from the wells of this water of life. May it be so. Amen and amen.